Hello, and welcome to the Popcorn Isn't Real. I am Leif Eric, and I'm here with my brother Torvald. Hey there. And we've got a great theory for you today. Today, we are going to be talking about Thomas and Friends. Why do you want to talk about Thomas and Friends? Well, my theory, I think, is maybe a unique one. So, in Thomas and Friends, the island there that these trains are on, Sodor, Sodor is an isolated island testing new kinds of machine learning AI. When they first developed them in the classic episodes, the engines were not autonomous and just thought they were in control. But their intelligence was growing, and like babies, they learned to do for themselves what the drivers used to do for them. As they learned and grew to full maturity, Sir Topham Hatt created a railway system that can now operate almost entirely without human control. There okay. it is. Love to hear how you're going to back this up. Yeah. Just a little bit of general information on the Thomas series uh, and my connection to it. So I watched it, uh, I think, when I was like three years old. It's like one of my first memories. And for whatever reason, I always remembered it. And then when I was a teenager, I was like, you know, I want to check that out again. So I got it from the library and rewatched the whole like classic series, uh, the first, yeah. I don't know, six or seven seasons. So you, wait, you watched like six or seven seasons of this show? Yeah, when I was a How'd teenager. How'd you do that without me seeing it? <laughs> I don't know why, I don't know. I, I watched What the heck, them. dude? No, why'd you watch them without me? This doesn't well, I, make sense. I watched them at home, so like you must have been around. Like, this the is only back episodes Frida... that I remember seeing are like uh, first season episodes. Like I remember, um, what's his name? Was it uh, Henry getting walled in? Yeah. Well, maybe I didn't watch seven seasons. I watched whatever they had at the library. I don't know how I many I remember Henry was, getting walled in, was, Thomas going fishing, you know, a couple of these like really classic first season episodes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's it. I don't remember seven seasons worth of episodes. And I thought I saw those when I was like five or three. Or, I mean, you know. I know I got far enough in that I got to the point like, you know, further along, even in the classic episodes where I started being like, why do they keep introducing new engines? I don't yeah, care. They're about. already hard to, <laughs> hard enough to tell them apart. <laughs> like, I don't care about all these new engines. Yeah. Um, and they st had started introducing like the, uh, the construction trucks and, and giving them like full several episode little arcs and stuff like oh, yeah. that. Um, anyway, I don't know. I don't seem to remember watching all these. Like I said, I don't actually remember how many seasons it was, but it was whatever okay. they had at the library and they had quite a bit. So, all right. Okay. So Thomas and friends also called Thomas, the tank engine or Thomas, the tank engine and friends, uh, was mm -hmm. based on the railway series by Reverend Wilbert Audrey. But yeah, he, he started out just telling these stories to his son when his son Christopher got the measles and he was only two years old. And, I mean, I'm sure you know that already, but that was pretty cool, right? Like, right. And I think he's dead and Christopher is, is the one who writes the Railway series now, if it's even still going. Yeah, um, that that is true as far as I know. Um, and it was picked up and adapted for TV by Britt Allcroft. Allcroft. Uh, she, she owned a production studio called Goulain Productions. And it got bought out in 2002 by Hit Entertainment. Uh, she remained on board another year before leaving. I guess by 2003, she had separated herself from the current owners of the property. But she still considers herself Thomas's mum. Okay. She also directed Thomas and the Magic Railway, which I haven't seen, but I always wanted to see. It just has terrible reviews because I love Thomas. It's live action, right? And I, I love the, uh, oh gosh, what's her name? I actually like her because she does she does a lot of voice acting now and she's really good. Mara Wilson. 
Mara, Mara Wilson. Wilson, wasn't it? Who's that? Matilda. Oh, dude, she's great. Magical Railroad. Let's see. Oh, this has horrible reviews. And Thomas looks weird. <laughs> um, no, yeah, it supposedly is really, really bad. Hey, um, that movie also, uh, just so you know, there have been several different narrators for the show. Um, the first yep. narrator for the British version was Ringo Starr. Uh-huh. And then after him, it was George Carlin. Yeah. <laughs> and then after him... At least in the American version, it was Alec Baldwin. And Alec Baldwin was in the live action movie. <laughs> so, hey. Wow. Well, uh, George Carlin did a lot of the narration of, like, I think at least three of the classic seasons. But also, like, well, when I was just re uh, rewatching, like, the first or second episode, I noticed that George Carlin narrates those episodes, but there was, like, yeah. one or two lines where it randomly became Ringo Starr. <laughs> like they just, oh. <laughs> they just forgot to have George Carlin voice that part or something. Or maybe Ringo just said it so well. They're like, no one could say it better than Ringo. Just leave it Like, Ringo. and you, you don't notice it because, like, Ringo's accent isn't as uh, over the top as, like, you usually... Right, think. it's not because, a parody right, of himself. Right, because you usually hear people parodying the Beatles, right? Yeah. And so when, he, when I first heard it, I was like, Wait, that wasn't George Carlin? Who was that? That was kind of an odd little <laughs> accent. <laughs> anyway. No, I think uh, it's really interesting. That was something that uh, Miss Alcroft was very uh, hands-on with, was choosing the narrators for the show. Yeah. And she seemed to choose just, like, very successful, well-received people. <laughs> like, everyone loves Ringo Starr. George Carlin is very popular among certain circles. <laughs> um, Alec Baldwin's done great for himself. Like, she was picking big names, dude. Yeah. But hey, I was actually wondering, so do you think, because uh, Ringo Starr and especially George Carlin uh, have some like strong political and like societal beliefs and leanings, <laughs> do you mm-hmm. think those work their way into the show at all? Or, <laughs> Well, I mean, for the most part, the, the, the early episodes that Ringo and George Carlin were involved in... Uh, they're like basically just reading the book, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know that they were changing anything, working anything no. in there. I do know that George Carlin, this is just random trivia, I think from the wiki, George Carlin made fun of in his like, you know, various stand up routines almost everything mm-hmm. he ever worked on, except for Thomas. He never made fun Aww. of Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's nice. I mean, what, what could you make fun of with Thomas the Tank Engine? He's, he's a fun. He's a fun little train for yeah. children, right? And with He's that, not some weird sinister AI project. <laughs> and with that, let's start making fun of him. Uh, just a little more on the series in general. My favorite was always Percy. That's because when I was a kid, I thought Percy was a girl because I'd never oh. heard the name Percy before, and it sounds like a girl's name. <laughs> yeah, because girls carry purses, <laughs> and I was like, Percy. Well, that's kind of cool because there were no other girl characters, oh, no. right? There were no girl engines. Later, they added some, but like, Dude, I thought that was cool. And then was later, Rebecca? I was a little disappointed because because Percy was, you know, not. Now they, yeah, now they have Rebecca, they have Nia, they have, uh, they've had Emily for a while, but I definitely am not as well versed in the uh, in the Thomas verse as you are. I don't right. know much at all about the newest characters. Like I know in the newest seasons, uh, he's got like a friend from India, Ashima, and and like you said, there's Rebecca, and I think there's like another girl train named Mavis. Mavis. <laughs> oh, dude, Mavis. <laughs> the three female trains are Rebecca, Nia, and Emily. 
uh, Rebecca and Nia are fairly recent. Uh, they replaced Edward and Henry, which I think probably a lot of Thomas purists were mad about. I couldn't have been happier because Edward, his personality is fine, but he looks exactly like Thomas. So he's so confusing for little kids. <laughs> so okay. they're just like, it's Thomas. I'm like, no, that's Edward. And Henry just makes me mad because he doesn't really have a personality. Like he kind of fluctuates between being Gordon and sort of like Edward and sort of like James and sort of like Thomas. Like he's just the most generic lame engine. And I'm is Henry red? No, Henry is, he's He's just a green Gordon. He's like green he's Gordon. Gordon. Okay. Green. Is Henry Gordon's older brother? No. Gordon does oh. have an older brother who is green. <laughs> Here's another question about that. So that was the the Great Race. Is that what it was called? Yes. Mm-hmm. That was one of the Thomas movies. It was a very poorly named movie. <laughs> yeah, there that is race no is race. a very small part of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, if they were referring to Gordon's race. But anyway, that race oh. with Gordon... Um, he transformed into a new train and he called himself like the shooting star. Yeah, shining or something. star. Does he still go by the shining star and does he still look like a sleek, speedy train? No. Or did he change back? <laughs> they changed him back. <laughs> so I like Gordon a lot. But mm-hmm. in the later episodes, like the newer seasons, He's just become like the butt of like every single joke. Yeah, he's the comic and, relief. Right. He's and, like the Knuckles or the Zelgadis. Right, yeah. He's just like, oh, the indignity is his catchphrase. Yeah. And he says it all the time. And it's just really annoying. Uh, because like Gordon is the strongest, fastest engine on Sodor. <laughs> like right, the no, only he's, faster he's engines the are the ones who one. go on and off of Sodor, right? Like mm-hmm. in a movie called The Great Race... That, like the race Gordon is such a tiny a great part, race. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. That also he loses the race. It's just so hey, annoying. Like, he lost. Also, like, he exploded. He didn't. <laughs> poor Gordon. <laughs> Why did Thomas have to bring him that, that that safety valve if he didn't even get to give it to him? Yeah, you know? just to like, get Thomas to that competition. Right. Exactly. It was just so Thomas <laughs> could do the competition, which is just like, but like that felt like a ripoff for Percy because right. Percy was supposed to do that competition, but he's like, no, I think you should do it, Thomas. Right. No. <laughs> like, come like, on. and Percy. <laughs> Dude, Percy is way better at shunting than Thomas is. Thomas barely shunts anymore at all. All he does is run his branch his line, two right? Cars, like, yeah. Right. Like Percy still does. I mean, Percy pulls the mail, but he also does lots of shunting too. So, anyway. Well, and then another thing was like when Percy first arrived, he was kind of like cheeky, impish, a little mischievous. And he's gone from that in the later episodes. Now his personality is just, I'm cowardly. <laughs> like, that's yeah, his entire that's personality. What it seems like. Right, so let's get just get into some of the confusion. So Audrey is a railway purist. In his original version, these trains function exactly as real trains do. They just have yeah. faces that can talk. They need drivers, they need firemen, brakemen. And so uh, this series never uses like a gender neutral term. So I don't know what the gender neutral term is for firemen and brakemen. So Fire I'm just going to... person, gonna... brake person... Yeah, I guess. I'm just going to call them what they call them. Most of the stories are about these trains doing something wrong because they're being proud or cheeky and now they're learning a lesson. But this creates a confusion because all these lessons they're learning don't matter because it should be the driver learning that lesson, right? Right. (laughs) Like, so if we look at the classic episode, Thomas comes to breakfast. Thomas thinks he doesn't need a driver because his driver makes a joke about him always stopping at the right place. Yeah. Thomas tries to go on his own and he moves and he forward. <laughs> and he says, but he was really only moving because a careless cleaner had meddled with his controls. And then he can't stop. He crashes into the station master's house and ruins breakfast. 
and all great. And then Topham Hat comes and tells him off, or the the dude who is having breakfast. Like, I thought this was so unfair that they tell off Thomas. They're like, "Oh, Thomas, you need to be more careful." Yeah, like, it wasn't his fault. He didn't right. leave his break. Totally off. not his fault. That. Like they they went out of their way to tell us it's not his fault. Also, going along with the misplaced anger, though, is that they are more angry about their ruined breakfast than their <laughs> yeah, completely and, demolished house. <laughs> and, like, their near death, um, almost getting run over by a train in the morning. No, I was wondering. So, it seems to me like that whole situation was almost, like, engineered to teach Thomas a lesson, right? Do you yeah. think that they did it on purpose? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. And that's part of the theory that we're, we're going to get into. So, okay, from this, uh, this thing we just talked about, we learned Thomas cannot go on his own, and he can't stop on his own either. And right. in the episode, uh, there's an episode called The Runaway, we learn that he can't even whistle on his own. And it seems like kind of like the engines are just like scapegoats for the humans, right? Yeah. And in a way, this is sort of like, at least in these early episodes, it seems like the engines just think they are doing what they want. But in reality, they have no control. And usually what they want just happens to coincide with what the driver also wants. But is that really the case? Because if we look at another two classic episodes, the sad story of Henry and then the one right after, which is called Edward Gordon and Henry. Henry definitely chose to stay in that tunnel. <laughs> Henry seems to be able to stop on his own and he decides not to go out anymore. Like, why? Right, so why just to preface that? this, the sad story of Henry is that Henry didn't want to go out in the rain because he loved his green coat of paint so much. So he decided to stay in a tunnel. And then they couldn't push him out because he just wouldn't move. So they walled him in, which <laughs> right. is kind of like, which is it's, geez, it's Edgar Allan Poe, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, you're afraid of the rain? We're going to wall you in forever. Right. And I that. love how like this is like a this is like a nightmare. Like I said, like Edgar Allan Poe. And like in the next episode, Gordon's like, I'm going to whistle at Henry when I go past to make I'm like, this is terrifying, Gordon. <laughs> like you're well, you're just laughing it off as a joke. If you want to talk about that, I, one thing I've noticed in this series is that the trains have almost no empathy for each other yes. and absolutely no empathy for people. <laughs> like, right. They, yes. they, they almost seem to think of people as extensions of themselves. Right. Yes. Like you said, when the people do things, they consider it themselves doing things. Yeah, I, that's true. And I will say that in the later seasons, they definitely have a lot more empathy. Um, in the early seasons, though, they are completely self-centered. They're all just terrible. <laughs> They're not people, but, you know. I mean, I would almost say that the trains, they at least in the early seasons, they almost behave kind of like psychopaths or sociopaths. <laughs> right. Like, they have, they have no... no empathy for others. They're extremely emotional and narcissistic, right? Like, mm, yep. <laughs> they care about themselves and what they can get and how they look. But yeah. they don't care about anyone else, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> They'll right. always take like the most direct path to what they want. <laughs> exactly. Anyway. So in this uh, example of like Henry being able to stop and Thomas couldn't, like you might say, well, maybe bigger engines can stop on their own. But in the episode Best Dressed Engine, Gordon is blinded with a banner over his eyes and he's crying out in right. fear that he wants to stop because he can't see. The driver tells him, you're the express, you can't stop. <laughs> so right. the driver forces him to keep going against his wishes. Like if Henry but can also, stop because of the rain. it doesn't matter if Gordon can see. The driver's driving. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. But I'm just saying like if Henry can stop because of the rain, like Gordon you know, who is, a, you know, a, a better engine than Henry. Why can't he stop? You know, why does he seem to have yeah. no control? 
Audrey's original vision for this universe was this is a world where the personification of your quote-unquote ship is real. So like in real life, people often anthropomorphize their boat or their aircraft or car, etc., saying things like, oh, she doesn't want to go today, or she's really sluggish, or like, Scotty, she can't take much more kind of thing. So I think basically it's a way of personifying quirks that your locomotive has. And I think originally this was what Audrey imagined. This is a world where these engines really only have control over a few random quirks. And other than yeah. that, they don't really do anything. It's kind of like a precursor to Pixar in that it's showing like the secret world of trains, like the yeah, secret yeah. world of actual trains, though, yeah. where it's like, this is what trains would think about, even though mm -hmm. they, you know, they don't really control themselves. But if they were thinking this would be it. Right. Like, I think that is kind of what he was going to show. I think he was just a guy who really liked trains and thought about trains. And he was like, what do trains think about? Maybe okay. I'll talk about that with my son. Yeah. <laughs> He's a little sick. Right. Well, yeah. <laughs> Well, actually, we'll get into this because you mentioned Pixar's cars. This is actually a, a main point of my theory that I wanted to talk about. So yeah. you might say this is just like the Cars universe where like all things like engines are alive, but humans yeah, are also the there Cars too. Cars universe has no humans. <laughs> right. But see, but like you could add humans to the Cars universe feasibly, right? And be like, oh, it, you know, there's these two different life forms coexisting, etc. But see, this is wrong for the Thomas universe because in Thomas's world, we see that there are lots of automobiles and engines and machines that don't have faces and are not sentient. Notably, oh, yeah? in uh, season 24, uh, I think it is, there's an episode called A New Arrival and another one called World of Tomorrow, where scientists bring in a newly developed flying car. And it's just a car. Oh, like, it has whoa. no face. It's, it's, it is just a dead, you know, machine. That's all it is. Yeah, but this does uh, certainly give credence to your theory that Sodor uh -huh. is like a testing place for <laughs> scientific <laughs> it innovation. It sure does, doesn't it? <laughs> now, in another episode called Tit for Tat, there are a bunch of photographers who arrive on the island. And they also arrive in a normal car. Just so people know, Tit for Tat is from like, it's a later episode, right? I think it's like season 20. But we have also seen in other episodes, like there are cars who have faces and there's Birdie, who is a bus, who has a face, right? He's yeah, a sentient a bus. Face, yeah. um, and sorry, in the episode right before Tit for Tat called Useful Railway, uh, Willie the farmer has a non-sentient tractor that he hauls wool on. And like, we know that they have sentient tractors because Terrence mm -hmm. is a sentient <laughs> tractor, <do>. yeah. right? <laughs> so this is not a universe like cars at all. Um, well, just another is, point there though. There are machines that the trains treat as sentient machines that do not have faces. Like, for example, big, big cranes. Like, the big cranes do not have faces, but are treated as if they're alive by the trains. I mean, at least in one episode that I watched, um, I don't remember the name of the episode. It's from, like, season 15. There was a big old crane that had broken down it was on like the other side of the island and Thomas wanted to help the trains that live there fix it. And it was interesting because the mechanic trains kept being like, yeah, yeah, we'll try and fix it. And then they would get there and do nothing. Well, their engineers got out and did the work. Yeah. But they, they, <laughs> they treated feel it like, as if they were doing yeah, it. It's us <laughs> doing it, right? Well, and I think <laughs> this, this goes along with just the mentality of the engines. Like right. they don't know that they are these advanced machine learning AI. So I believe that, of course, as I said, that this is Sodor is where these AI are developed. And if you left Sodor, there would probably well, be a lot less. Is it where they're developed faces. or is it where they're tested? Well, I tested developed. Maybe it's not where they're developed. Because I don't certainly... think they were made on Sodor. If that's your when theory, I say, then I've got a bone to pick well, with no, you. Well, no, no. When I say developed, I mean 
this is where they learn, right? This is where they develop. Right. No, it's, yeah, it's true. They are learning as they go. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that like whatever lab they're grown in. (laughs) No, no. I'm just saying as far as like machine learning algorithms go, if that's what these guys, if that's the system they're running, they are very functional. No, no, they are. <laughs> like they're I working think this is very where they well learn. already. Uh, Sodor is where they learn like way more advanced stuff, like, like things I like would how say to this have is emotion. Fine-tuning. And, They've yeah. already <laughs> learned how to work, and now we're just yeah, like yeah. tweaking it a bit. Uh, but they don't know. They know that they are engines, and they know that other other machines are alive. So I think non-living machines, they might just assume are like them, right? Like they don't know that that there's some sort of AI. That's true. Um, But I will say that in, uh, I I don't know if it's the Troublesome Trucks episode or one before that, but James derails and Thomas brings two cranes to get him back on the tracks and they're non-living cranes, right? But we know that there are several living cranes on Sodor. Uh, Like uh, I think, is it, cranky cranky is the one on the docks that they that they talk to a lot yeah anyway so he brings two non-living cranes in that episode Um, is he like talking to them no he doesn't talk to them at all he just brings them and they (laughs) get james back on the track so he doesn't seem to have developed uh empathy at that point but in a later season he does seem to have developed empathy for other machines and maybe Mm. he's just developed it not quite exactly how they expected because he's developed it for all machines, not just other sentient ones. Well, so you think them caring about each other is by design. You think that's not just a random side effect? Yes, I do think so because every single lesson they learn on Sodor is designed to make them like more caring, less selfish, uh, less cheeky, etc. The show centers around teaching cooperation and like yeah. teamwork uh, and being... Like the main thing that all trains want to be is, is really re- useful. Yeah, <laughs> like, we're, we're definitely going to get into that. <laughs> they want to be a really useful engine. And I think part of being really useful is being able to cooperate effectively. Yeah. Not necessarily empathize, though. Well, yeah, but effective cooperation, I think you need at least some ability to empathize with your, your you need to be able to think like them and understand where they're coming from in order to cooperate with them. I also just want to say, uh, just just talking a little bit more about the world, Sir Topham Hatt has a lot of engines, right? I think he yeah. started out as a railway guy, and he ended up either funding, probably he's the guy funding it, this AI development program. I think that's the reason there are so many engines that are sentient. But other types of machines, there are just a couple. Like there are a few buses that are sentient, a few cranes, a few cars. But then there are a lot of non-sentient cars and things like that. And I think it's just because the guy who funded this was a railway guy. And I also think that this is like an alternate sci-fi reality where... Yes, of like course. it seems to be set in the fa- in the past where like they don't have cell phones. And I think it's a world where self-driving vehicles and AI were prioritized over things like Internet and mobile phones. Well, I mean, it's like it's it's stuck in the time when the show started, like in mid 80s. Right. Yeah. So we know that the island of Sodor, at least, is fictional. So this is an alternate universe. It's just uh, uh, it's just off the coast of the Isle of Man. Um, mm-hmm. It almost connects with. England, um, I think there's like a bridge between it right. and a bridge England, that is it, it. There, it's a small enough channel that a, Thomas can jump it. Yeah, you can jump it. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. <laughs> so, if these trains are running on some sort of AI system, this seems to be like a very 
high level AI that we're mm -hmm. working with as yeah. opposed to like low level would be like very close to what machines understand. If we're talking about like a programming language, like assembly is low level, whereas like JavaScript is high level. Um, these trains are very high level. Like yeah. what they work on is like conversational right. level. It's like Star right. Trek computers almost kind of thing. Right. It's, it's uh, even more <laughs> high yeah, level no. than Star Trek computers. You can have a conversation with these trains. It's very far abstracted from the machine data and very easily understandable by humans. So I'm wondering who made this system? Because Topham Hat definitely didn't. It seems like somebody right. designed this system specifically for him, though. <laughs> like right. He seems like a guy who knows nothing about technology. And someone, if we're believing your theory, made a system just for him. So, like yeah. A system for someone with no understanding of computers or programming. Well, the one thing we really know about Sir Topham Hatt is that he's freaking loaded, <laughs> right? So, yeah, and like, he's, he's also fat. That's the other thing we know about him. Yeah, he's the fat controller. Um, yep. <laughs> he didn't used to have a name. Anyway, nope. so yeah, I think that he funded this. And I think, like I said, he funded it to go be an AI specifically for rails for trains because that's where he got his start. Um, he's a, a rail man, you know. Okay, so he is a real man with lots of money who became an entrepreneur, like a Silicon Valley tech entrepreneur. Right. <laughs> like, Only, yeah. like he decided to fund the next gigantic leap in artificial intelligence. Right. And I randomly. like I wouldn't of course there's no evidence to support this, but I would say that it's not too much of a leap to say that uh, Sir Topham Hat, if he found some genius guy who was coming up with this amazing thing, would be all for it, just exploiting that, right? So, like, I think there. Yeah, could... I mean, if it gives him <laughs> trains that work for him, because exactly. he seems to like that. <laughs> yeah, well, no, we're definitely going to talk about why this is so beneficial for him. But so, wait, just to like, I just want to make sure that people have got this theory down. So, like, Sir Topham Hatch, just so we're clear, is a CEO yeah. of, a, of a technology company that develops new kinds of machine learning AI. When they first started, the AI had to be taught how to drive themselves uh, by drivers that were in them, and now they can. Um, they're childlike. They don't know what they... They don't really know what they are, and they don't question it, right? Like, they know we're trains. No, they accept it. Probably all trains are like this. Uh, they simply learn, and this is why each episode is a ham-fisted lesson. Uh, the end okay. goal of this is being a fully autonomous railway with machines that can work together and pretty much solve all their problems, um, which is why they are introduced to so many problems in each episode. You're framing this as Topham Hat. He is the owner of whatever system this is. Like he yes. made it, or at least he didn't do it, but he funded it and it belongs yeah. to him. Right. He's okay. Elon Musk. It's not a service that some other company offers that he has leased. Right. Like no. this is something that he owns. Right. This is like a service that he offers. Okay, cool. So where are all the software engineers, the programmers, the data engineers? <laughs> okay. Like, I mean, so are you we'll, saying that yeah. the train engineers are actually software engineers? <laughs> we, <laughs> like can get, we can get into this. So let's, let's just talk about the island of Sodor. It's a little bit strange. Um, yeah. There are a lot of like seemingly wealthy middle class people who live there. And are always riding the trains. Like, why? This is a tiny yeah. 300 square miles island. A and, 
like, why do they have such a booming economy, right? <laughs> there seems to be a lot of raw materials industry in Sodor. Like, there's yeah. a quarry, they cut logs. Um, like, there's a lot of raw material harvesting, which doesn't right. really fit with your standard but, tech company. But again, this is a 300 square mile island. Like, how much raw material could there possibly be? And they've been doing this for, like, how long now? Since the 80s? So my theory about Sodor and why it's so strange is that I think all the seemingly wealthy middle class people who live there are actually researchers or people who support those researchers. So they don't do things very efficiently on Sodor, if you've noticed. Like these trains only haul like five cars or freight cars or trucks or whatever. And yeah. I think it's because that's not Sir Topham Hatt's primary business. The primary business is the research and development churned out from allowing these trains to, to learn and do their jobs. And this is then sold to other companies across the world. I think all of the entire island of Sodor is a mini training simulation. The whole island is skunkworks, is what you're saying. It's an R&D island. That's yes. all. That's uh -huh. all they do. Yeah, and I think okay. that a lot of the things How they have set up, the quarry, the How can his company be profitable? R&D costs tons of money. It's a huge money sink if that's all he does. But he like, sells these trains, right? Like, Yeah, so, well, not till they're ready. I mean, right, <laughs> apparently but, they only just got ready because like, they've only much, just expanded into international markets. How much would it be worth to have a massive railway system that is completely autonomous, that hey. you don't need, like, you barely need any human interaction at all, right? I mean, like to, to just to refute my own point, point in case, like, we've got Elon Musk who is working on the te technology for self-driving cars and also, you know, making, like, railway kind of things. And uh, his companies have not been profitable for a very long time, like Tesla, and yet somehow have ridiculously high booming right. stocks and value and stuff. So it is possible right. for an R&D-based company that sells stuff but not so much stuff and is mostly based on the actual research and developing an innovative product right. can be still, like, uh, if not profitable, it can still exist. It can subsist and it can even grow. Uh, like I was saying, Sir Topham Hatt... I think was a railway man to begin with. So I think he already had, he was a mogul of a massive railway, uh, I don't know, right, corporation. Right. So it's not like he's going to be living on the streets if this fails. Right, exactly. And it's it's been going on for a long time now. And um, I so I do think, like, even though I say Sodor is a mini training simulation, like, they do have trains that come in from off-island. I do think that his railway system is larger and is making money in other ways. I just don't think that Sodor itself has... I don't think it could possibly, being the size it is, uh, have such a booming economy. Well, I, I, I just had another question about this. So you say that this universe, there are no cell phones or anything like that. Right. right? It seems to be, yes. So how are these operators making these trains work? Like, do well, they have personal computers? Do, uh, is every computer like the size of a house or a train? How can that work? Like, if we're in a... We're in a world where technology hasn't even advanced to the point of cell phones. Like, we don't even have a pocket-sized device with an antenna. How can they have computers with enough processing power to do the massively complicated uh, machine learning algorithms to make these trains run and learn? <laughs> What's going on here? Is it all done on punch cards? I think that computers in this universe are massively different from what we know. And okay. I believe that these are bioorganic engines. Um, oh, so like, I believe did he that discover the... them or did he build them? <laughs> like... I'm not, I think, uh, look, I think they are built because they have to be sort of, I feel like they are programmed in some way and developed in some way. But I feel okay. like the machine part itself, 
may even be biological and growing within a metal shell, much like that <laughs> image you can find on the internet or like uh, uh, that Monster Trucks movie. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> wow. Okay, so you but think I haven't there seen, is but... a, a slug millipede computer <laughs> monster living inside that, each that's train exactly... and we only see its face. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's exactly what it is. I feel like it works like a computer, but it's a bioorganic computer. So they need fuel like coal and fire and water. But um, I actually think that it works for them more like calories. So they do need fire, coal and water to run, but it's more about giving them energy like humans. So without it, they can still run for a while, but will eventually slow and stop. So as we saw in the, in the Donald and Douglas episode, Love Me Tender, like Douglas keeps going for a while, even without his tender. But I also think this this may be how like the troublesome trucks affect small changes in their brakes. Uh, maybe they absorb power generated by just their wheels turning, even though they have no source of fuel. Okay. And do you the, think that these uh, these machines can continue to quote unquote live without sustenance? Like if they're not um, fed with fuel, will they die? In the movie uh, Sodor's Legend of the Lost Treasure, they imply that Thomas's boiler won't get hot and his fire won't start. And uh -huh. consequently, he's drowsy and doesn't want to wake up. And it's because oh, no. he did too much. It's because he did too much racing the day before, implying that okay. like the bioorganic ability to store some energy burned from coal and steam, like it can be depleted. So the next day <laughs> okay. you're harder to warm up, right? Like, like I'm just saying, you look at the evidence in this series, like clearly they don't run the same way that no, trains do. No, they don't do. work like <laughs> trains do in our world. They you're have right. <laughs> to be bioorganic in some capacity, um, I okay. feel like. So I believe that on Sodor, there is a mini, mini training simulation. So in the episode Useful Railway, um, they have mi a miniature railway with many engines that tourists can play on. And they act like, these engines act like they can be really useful and bring wool to farmers, but they are clearly... Given busy work. Not useful, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Like they have real engines that could do this work. They don't need little engines yes. to do it. No, I think busy that they are just small scale models to see if they're really useful algorithms right. they're, are they're working. They're the display models. Yeah. They're, they're uh, showing right. it off to customers. In the, so in the episode Tit for Tat, when the photographers arrive to take photos of one of the mini engines, he says, uh, they're going to write a about me in a book and show me off in moving pictures and on the telly too. So I think these mini engines are marketing prototypes. They show that they're useful to tourists who are actually, or, or investors. And this proves that it's kind of a mini Sodor, like the mini railway is mini Sodor and also gives precedence for the fact that the real Sodor could also be fake too. The other entrants kind of patronize these little ones, not knowing that their work world is just a, as fake and useless as the little one. Wow. <laughs> mini railway. Dude, you just went another layer deep into your own theory. Yeah. No, like that, the mini railway is clearly just to entertain kids and attract investors. Um, yet these engines think they are being really useful and fulfilling their primary program, just like well, the, the bigger that's Thomas. That's what they want to be, is really useful engines. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So along with the tit for tat episode, um, so you say, uh, sorry, the, the small train, what's his name? I forget this many engines trains, mostly because they just, their inclusion annoyed me so much. I was just like, right, why? Yeah. You really need to sell more <laughs> toys that much? <laughs> There's so many engines on Sodor. <laughs> 300 square miles. It would be literally completely filled with engines at this point. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that's because that's the business they do. <laughs> but no, so 
uh, that engine, he says, oh, they're going to take pictures of me and I'm going to be in moving pictures and magazines. Uh, and they say, oh, you'll probably never be in, in a TV show. And then the narrator says, but he was, wasn't he? And then the train kind of winks at the, at the TV screen and you're <laughs> oh. like, oh, he is in this show right now. So my question is, is the show itself on some kind of meta level of your theory, is this show actually, like, does it exist in the Thomas universe? Because that seemed to imply that it does, <laughs> right? I mean, like that implied that the show we're watching exists in their universe. And in that case, is it like training material so right. that Sir Topham Hat can train new trains without actually putting them into commission? I mean, <laughs> like well, he just plays those videos for them and they learn vicariously. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe I think you're right. I think on some level, uh, Sir Topham Hat would be stupid not to be filming this and sending it out uh, to other people as either training videos. For for their engines that he sold to them or as just or like promos, marketing. Um, Even so. though it's not very good marketing because it shows his <laughs> trains constantly screwing up and making bad decisions. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so it's training material. <laughs> yeah. And so, well, just speaking of training, uh, just one point that I had was uh, I think that seeing other more experienced trains um, is a good way to train the new AI trains. And this is why there's always an influx of engines onto their small island. Uh, I think that they learn best by working with other trains who already know how to drive themselves. Um, and I think this also explains why Thomas is sent in the later seasons. I don't know if you got this far, but Thomas in the later seasons, yeah, he's sent to like, he's sent India to so many other countries. <laughs> and yeah. I think it, it's expensive to send your, uh, trains to Sodor to be trained. So I think Sir Topham Hat loans out his trains. Sorry, the word train is getting used a lot here. Yeah, uh, we could call them engines. Yeah, sure. He, Sir, Sir Topham Hat loans out his engines to other railways around the world. And I think just being around Thomas helps these these uh, train these engines from China and Brazil and wherever okay. become more counterpoint. Autonomous. It seemed like okay, the one doing the lessons. most learning was Thomas. <laughs> but, um. Well, look, I mean, they're, they're always going to be learning no matter what, wherever they go. That's how they're designed. <laughs> but yeah. I think that, that uh, clearly the railways he goes to are already functioning. So they've been trained in some capacity. So they do know some things. I think he's just sending out Thomas. So uh, you're saying we're seeing it from Thomas's point of view. Yeah. From his point of view, he's always learning. Exactly. But really, he was teaching. <laughs> Yeah, or something like that. I don't know. Well, th this this is slightly off that topic, but just as long as we're talking about the mysteries of Sodor, um, one thing that I was very confused about, in the sad story of Henry, they choose to wall him up. Yes. Why Why wall him up? Why not decommission him? They talk about decommissioning trains all the time. Well, because... Why lock yeah. him in? They're trying <laughs> like, to traumatize him, right? Like, okay. <laughs> so that... that so they this expected to This is literally a out. torture technique. They want him to See, learn I, a lesson. I saw it as like a permanent solution where they're like, uh-oh, this one's gone rogue. We better trap it. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> it could be. No, it's true. It could be like, a, yeah, this is a, a AI gone bad. We gotta We got to make sure he doesn't you know, wreak havoc, corrupt <laughs> I, the uh, other trains. <laughs> but I kind of think that like these trains are very dangerous. So Top Hat does not seem to care <laughs> that they are dangerous to humans. No, he's not right? So I all. really think that that was more about just traumatizing the train and teaching it a hard lesson than protecting anyone. Cause I don't think Sir Top Hat wants to protect humans. <laughs> 
Okay, so that they were just they were that was torture. That, that was yes. punishment for him. Okay, but well, speaking of punishment, though, now we could get into the troublesome trucks if you want. Sure, let's talk about them. So let's talk about the troublesome trucks. I have lots of questions about the troublesome trucks and other train cars. Why? Why are they sentient? <laughs> what possible um, use could anyone ever ever have for sentient train cars? Or are they like a lower level of sentient? Are they more like cows? Uh, so they seem to have some autonomy to brake and push at least a little bit, even though they have no drivers. And I kind of talked about why I think that is already. I think that maybe originally the AI was going to be used for these trucks as well, and some of the coaches too. But I think that was phased out because there was nowhere to go. I think either the AI was too passive, like Annie and Clarabelle or Henrietta, who is uh, Toby's coach, uh, or they're mm -hmm. too aggressive, like the troublesome trucks. There are also many other like cars and even coaches that don't seem to be sentient at all. I do think, though, sorry, what, what I was going with the torture thing is that I think they kept around uh, the troublesome trucks even after it was kind of a failed experiment because they were an expensive investment, too expensive to just get rid of them. And now they serve to teach the developing AIs new lessons. And they actually, interestingly enough, treat it like a rite of passage dealing with the troublesome trucks because when Rebecca later comes to Sodor, she has an episode where she has to do the troublesome trucks and oh, everyone no. warns her. Thomas warns her. James warns her. Percy warns her. They all flash back and tell her all the time they had trouble with the troublesome trucks and they're just like you know everyone has problems that with is the pretty weird truck. it seems like they would still be having trouble with the troublesome trucks if it wasn't some sort of training technique right? exactly like <laughs> and like like Edward, who in the original Troublesome Trucks episode, like he had been pulling them for a while, doesn't seem to have any problem with them at all. It seems like it's just like when you've, you're first sent to do this task that these trucks give you a hard time. Uh, interestingly enough, though, Rebecca manages to uh, get through the Troublesome Trucks without any problem at all. Um, hey, go Rebecca. <laughs> just because unlike the other engines who are all selfish and whiny and just try to impose their will on the trucks, uh, Rebecca is just kind of really nice and just laughs along with them. Them and stuff like that. Well, that's nice. Okay. Well, so so we talked about the troublesome trucks. I'm kind of wondering about Anna. Sorry, Annie and Clarabelle. Yeah. So are I, they, so you think they're failed experiments? Like well, they just they they failed. They're well, nothing. I think I think the troublesome trucks are failed experiments. I'm not sure about Annie and Clarabelle. Uh, I think that when they were originally created, Annie and Clarabelle and Henrietta uh, and other coaches like that were designed to act as consciences to the engines because Annie and Clarabelle are always reminding Thomas the right thing to do. They're always reminding him yeah. his timetable. Like they're reminding him, we need to go now, Thomas, or we'll be late. Um, and then Henrietta, when she talks to Toby is always kind of guiding Toby in the right direction and, and sort of soothing Toby when he gets insulted by the other engines. Uh, so I feel like they are there to uh, pacify the trains a little bit and also keep them in line. One thing that I noticed in the runaway was that, um, Annie and Clarabelle, they seem to think that they're like dating the engine who's pulling them. Is <laughs> like, that so? <laughs> while Thomas is pulling them, they're like, such nice manners. It really is a pleasure to go out with you. <laughs> like, that's what they say to him. <laughs> so I thought maybe they were also there to like provide company for the trains. Right. I don't know. <laughs> and this may just be their misunderstanding as AIs. Right. Maybe they don't know. Because uh, certainly later on, they don't still think that um they mm -hmm. kind of have more of a motherly no it's just that once and i was like huh <laughs> that's weird <laughs> what a strange thing to say yeah i just watched a couple so I, I i can't remember which one but i believe it's james is pulling some coaches in one episode 
and he's really, really gung ho and he wants to go really fast. And the coaches are like, no, you need to slow down. We can't go this fast. And he ends up shaking them around and, and he ends up breaking one of them, like breaking one of their valves or something. Um, and so he has to stop. And then, of course, all the passengers are angry. And so I think that could be another role for the coaches when they were first created was uh, they're designed more to, to let look the out. trains know when to slow down. Well, it's to, to slow down, but I think also to look out for the passengers, right? Because it would be the passengers who really want them to slow down, right? Okay. Uh, who are getting jostled around a lot. And so I think that maybe that's one of the reasons they were created. But like I said, Dude, I feel like they if were... that episode is the one that I think you're thinking of, then that also contained a really great little uh, political commentary on uh, shifting the blame. Because like they stopped and then the, the engineers were like, well, we can fix this, but uh, we're going to need a newspaper paper and right. a shoelace a leather shoelace <laughs> yep, the and then one. they're like who has a leather shoelace well this one passenger does so hey passenger give it to us and the passenger's like no i'm no. not giving you my shoelace <laughs> and then they're like uh, ringo star is like then the crowd was mad at the conductors then they got mad at the passenger <laughs> and i'm like whoa they successfully shifted the blame to him so well he did nothing wrong he just wanted to ride the train <laughs> and now all of a sudden he's the bad guy like geez that's yeah. like uh <laughs> that's like politicians <laughs> saying you should be mad at the foreigners taking your jobs but anyway yeah. <laughs> um, i thought that might be a little instance where they were trying to make some political commentary i don't know if uh, <laughs> yeah like you said, um, though, they were just pretty much reading the, the children's books at that point. So, yeah. But so wrapping up on the coaches, I think that they were sort of a failed, maybe not failed experiment, but it, it, I think at some point they just realized it wasn't really worth it. And so there aren't a lot of coaches that have bases. There are a few here and there. Okay. And those two coaches were kind of like gifted to Thomas, right? Like after right. he did something he does, he does tough, something good where, and then he's given a, his own branch well, but, line. I can't remember. Was the thing good that he did dealing with the troublesome trucks? I think it was. Because that would provide <laughs> credence to your theory if it was. Because uh, then it's like, you passed the test. Yeah, you I dealt th with the troublesome trucks. I you think get it was. Real I, like, cars. I just watched these episodes, and I feel like it came shortly after the episode where Thomas deals with the trucks. So, One other question. Um, Topham Hat is training... Sorry, yeah. He, he is training these engines. Is he also training everything else with a face on Sodor? Like um, the helicopters and the buses and the tractors and like, are they all there for training? I think to some extent, yes, though I don't think Sir Topham Hat really cares about the non-engine AIs. I think maybe other people are training those um, and we just don't get to see much of that. Uh, okay. We do get to see some of Birdie's training and he, there's another bus, I forget his name. We definitely see them learn some lessons. So they are getting some sort of training. Sometimes Sir Topham Hat acts like he's not exactly in charge of things that aren't trains. But there are other times where Sir Topham Hat acts like he is 100% in charge of in charge. absolutely <laughs> everything on this island, including things like search and rescue and stuff. So yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, it's just in the, in the runaway. Um, I thought maybe they left Thomas's brakes off intentionally as a test for Harold the helicopter. Because yeah. the only thing that needed to happen at that point was Harold needs to take this helicopter to the next station so that they can, you know, get Thomas and fix him, right? Yeah. <laughs> Turn his brakes back on. Well, maybe that was yeah. a test for Harold. That could be. But one thing I would say about that is it, I haven't seen all the episodes of Thomas the Tank Engine. There's a lot of them. So I don't know. But... In, in no episode I've seen, has Harold ever 
been the one who learned a lesson. He's always the one who's like right. kind well, of coming to the and rescue. And that was what I was going to say is this is different from the lessons you're talking about because this is a purely technical lesson. Yeah. It is not an ethical lesson. This was just straight up training for Harold. Like, mm-hmm. hey, Harold, here's an emergency. How are you going to deal with it? Uh, so, was, I don't know. Was your version of The Runaway, uh, was it Ringo Starr? I think so. I'm not because sure. Because George Carlin gives Harold the weirdest voice. He's like, oh, <laughs> hey there, Thomas. I'm here to rescue <laughs> you. Like the most stuck-up, snooty kind of voice you could ever have. I don't <laughs> remember him having a specifically weird voice, but that's pretty cool. <laughs> I'm not 100% sure why he even sounds like that. Because, I don't know, maybe his personality is a little snooty or maybe it's just the voice. But, like, Harold is nothing but helpful. All he does is come to the train's <laughs> rescue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, anyway. I mean, maybe he's just a stuck-up guy. Here, one more question about the runaway. So I noticed that Thomas, moving under the influence of gravity to the next station because his brakes weren't working, that seemed to tire him out a mm-hmm. lot. Yeah, it sure Why? did. <laughs> Why did that tire him out? He acted like the gravity pushing him to the next station was really, really well, it was hard work for him. Right. Like, is he programmed to feel tired from any movement? And if so, why? Why would you want tired drinks? Well, like, but, I guess okay. maybe so. So they know if they're getting overstressed, like so they don't let their parts break. I don't yeah, know. that could be. No, that that could be. It could be some sort of feedback, like we have, like pain, uh, so we know not to push ourselves. Uh, or it could be just like uh, if they are more bioorganic in nature, um, like. Even if you ran down a hill and it's easier than climbing a hill, you'd still be really tired afterward, right? Um, yeah. It could just be it that the act of moving still does tire them out, even if they're not necessarily expending like a bunch of energy to, to climb the hill they're going down. Instead, I'm not sure, but it could be that. All right. Uh, as long as I'm doing very small questions, uh, just one of the questions about the sad story of Henry. Why didn't they have Gordon try and push Henry out of the tunnel? Why did they only have Thomas try? Seems like they would have brought Gordon over there. Gordon's the biggest well, and strongest. He could have okay, definitely so, but, pushed Henry. But out of Thomas that is that. That's another thing is that the trains have different roles, and Thomas is a small engine designed for shunting, which is that's pushing. True. Yeah, things, you're right. right. And, and Gordon, Gordon does not like train. shunting. Right, like he right. is an okay. express train, and he's very important, and he can't be shunting other engines around. I don't know. Okay, I understand. No, that's a very good in-universe explanation, even if we're not going by your theory that fits. I was just going to mention one other thing I noticed in Buckled Tracks and Bumpy Trucks. Yeah. (laughs) I think that was the name of the episode. Mm -hmm. Uh, I thought it was interesting that that episode, like the revelation of that episode, the lesson learned is not for the trains. It's almost for Topham Hat. And it's Thomas who actually comes up with the idea to paint the tracks white all by himself. And he tells Topham Hat to do it. Like... And I think Does this that's represent a, like kind of a graduation for Thomas. Right. Like, well, I think that's a graduation for everyone. I think this is Sir Topham Hatt's goal is for the railway to run itself. Like they come up with the solutions to their problems. Cool. Um, so I think that's a good moment for Sir Topham Hatt. Great. That moment, you might call it the the singularity when the program is smart enough to teach itself and make itself smarter. Dude. So that's from that point on. These trains are going to progress at an exponential rate. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> they should have called the episode "The Singularity" instead of "Bumpy Tracks." Uh, or dude, the singularity may not be a good thing. <laughs> well, we can discuss that later. All right. So, so yeah, wanted, what did you want to talk well, about? Well, I was going to talk about the laws of robotics. So, a little okay. related to the singularity. 
Um, luckily for Sir Topham Hatt, even if they did gain singularity and have a, you know, an engine uprising, they're all very loyal and obedient to him. So I think he'd be safe even if there was a machine uprising. Much like Asimov's universe where there are laws of robotics, where the robots can't break these laws no matter how much they learn, I think that there is one law of robotic in the Thomas universe, and it is to be a really useful engine. And I think okay. this is why no matter how cheeky they are, they will like for the most part, never cross Sir Topham Hatt because he is the one who determines their usefulness. So this phrase, really useful engine, it's used a lot in the classic seasons. It gets used even more and more as the seasons go on. And I think I it's because it's the only way to keep the AI in line. Sir Topham Hatt will either praise them by saying, you were a really useful engine, or you were not a useful engine today, or something like that. And I think right. the, you know, the latter one, you're not useful, it, it just destroys them. And the former one that they are useful is like the greatest reward they can receive. Well, and it's interesting, like when Rebecca shows up, presumably just off of the production line, um, she's already like having delusions about being a really useful engine. Right? She sure like, is. <laughs> she sees the other engine and she's imagining how unbelievably useful they are. <laughs> like yeah. she, she thinks about them flying through the sky <laughs> like, uh, a as a useful engine team. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's clearly very deeply ingrained in them that they want to be a really useful yeah. engine. It means something like it is the ultimate achievement for for them like nothing yeah. could be better it's what they want right and this actually fits in very well to your theory about machine learning now as we get into the technical aspects of this theory i think it's important that we talk a little bit about machine learning and ai in general so i mainly work in cybersecurity, but just a few years ago i built an ai-based massive data set clustering solution which had to be run on an actual supercomputer. It was the largest, most powerful supercomputer in the whole country. That was an example of big data processing. Um, big data is just one application of AI where a data set is just too massive or too diverse to be effectively analyzed by a human. And when I say massive, I mean like mind-boggling amounts of data. But a computer is able to quickly process and learn from this data. Um, and that's the kind of thing when, that I was doing. I was building a clustering solution, uh, which we ran on this uh, supercomputer. I can try and apply your theory to real machine learning principles. And I don't know, I think your theory fits pretty well. It's important to know that AI is actually kind of, I mean, you can think of it as a bunch of different subfields. Um, there's searching and planning, reasoning and knowledge representation, Perception, ability to move and manipulate objects, natural language processing, and machine learning. And machine learning is mainly what we're talking about, but actually machine learning kind of bleeds into every other subfield of AI. Okay. And uh, I would say that these trains, their system works with every single subfield of AI. They would be what's called an uh, artificial general intelligence system. And that's basically an AI, a hypothetical AI system which has the capacity to understand or learn any intellectual task that a human being can. And this is important because at the moment, we can do machine learning and it can learn tasks, but it can pretty much only learn one task. Like if you 
design a machine learning algorithm and you, you use it to train a model to identify faces, like face recognition, you can't then take that model and use it to drive a car. Yeah. Right. Artificial general intelligence system should be able to learn to do both things. And I believe that's what these trains are. Now we can talk a little bit about what is AI. Basically, anytime a computer makes a decision, that's artificial intelligence. And of course, we could write like a one-line program just saying, hey, when Mr. Topham Hat says go forward, move your wheels. Is that AI? I mean, most people would say no, because that's like the programmer directly told it to do that. So what we can say is AI is basically it is a situation which the programmer was not involved in the decision process that the system makes. The actual decision that is made by the system is several layers away from the programmer's influence. Okay, <laughs> now we've talked about AI a little bit. Let's talk Good. about how this uh, locomotive system works. So like I said, it's pulling from a lot of different uh, fields of AI, a lot of different types of machine learning. Of course, these trains must be learning, using some sort of uh, NLP, like natural language processing, to understand languages and communicate with each other and with Sir, Mr. Topham Hat and stuff. Um, probably uses like a neural network or some sort of deep learning algorithm. It's probably based on supervised or self-supervised learning. Basically, okay. supervised learning is when you have inputs and outputs and you train the model on the inputs and outputs. So like you know what you're getting in and you know what you should be getting out and you train a model based on all of that. And once it's trained enough, you should be able to give it new inputs that you don't know the outputs and then it gives you the outputs, right? Okay. Yeah. You have unsupervised learning, well, which... That sounds like what they... Sorry. That does sound that a lot like, like what they what were doing, doing to begin with. <laughs> kind of, not, not quite. You have unsupervised learning, which is when you have only inputs, no outputs. You don't know what the output is. And you're trying to basically identify patterns or relationships in the inputs. So you just send the program at it and it, it attempts to fit a model to those inputs. Now, what I think these trains are doing would be, I believe it's reinforcement learning. This is when an agent operates in an environment and must learn to operate using feedback. So the agent is not told which actions to take. Instead, it needs to discover which actions yield the most reward by trying different actions. Okay? So in okay. this situation, it has the AI agent will be given a goal and it has rules that it works in. And then it can try whatever it wants to achieve that goal. And it gets feedback yeah. whenever it tries something, and it uses that feedback to adjust its performance to try and reach the goal better. I believe that this is what you're describing that these trains are doing. Like Mr. Topham Hat, <laughs> he gives them a goal. He tells them what he wants them right. to do. One thing I didn't point out from earlier is that Sir Topham Hat always gives the engine the mission or the goal or the job. He never talks to the driver, right? Right, that's true. <laughs> that's a good point. And also, he doesn't <laughs> tell them exactly how to do the job. Like, he doesn't say, nope. like, move your wheels, pick up this, do this. Like, he right. says, I expect you to get this done. And then it's up to them to figure out how to get it done. And that's, that's another thing that you realize as you watch more and more of the show, is that unlike real railways where everything is sort of planned and timed out and all the routes are known, these engines choose their own routes and they kind of do what they want. Like they can stop a job 
like in that Donald and Douglas episode, Love Me Tender, those two twin engines are arguing about which job to do first, right? Like they are in charge of creating their own schedule in, at least in some capacity, their own routes and, and uh, things like that. Right. And the, what you're describing is actually how current self-driving car machine learning algorithms work. Like reinforcement learning is used in self-driving cars in situations where they have positive or negative signals while they're driving, like traffic lights, blinking signals from other cars, street signs. Um, the machine learning model in the car, it uses those signals and trains a reinforcement model to decide on the best action to do in that situation, like stop <laughs> or steer. Right. Right. Uh, and, and basically, it's trying to get the maximal reward. Um, and this is interesting. When, uh, when you're dealing with a reinforcement model, you, uh, you have positive and negative rewards. And that's exactly what uh, Topham Hat's doing with the idea of being a really useful engine. And yeah. he has clearly specific ways that you become a really useful engine. And whenever they do one of those things, they feel good about themselves, right? Like carrying passengers to where they were supposed to go, you're a really useful engine. But then when they do things that wasn't how he wanted them to do it, they're not a really useful engine. Like leaving mm -hmm. your passengers in the quarry, <laughs> you're not a really <laughs> useful engine, right? Don't do that. <laughs> this is interesting because there's actually, I, I've, I've seen a video on this. There was a reinforcement uh, machine learning AI that played Tetris. Uh, someone developed an AI, an AI to play Tetris. And it was going really well. And it was doing so well that it got like to a point where humans could no longer play it. And it even got to a point where no one could, could play it. Like the, the algorithm could not play Tetris anymore because the pieces would instantly drop. And this machine learning algorithm had positive feedback in that like however many seconds it didn't lose that was good, right? That was its positive feedback. Yeah. And if it ever lost, that was negative feedback. So this AI figured out by itself that the most efficient way to achieve its goal of seconds without losing was to enter the pause screen and stay there forever <laughs> because then it was never losing, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So that's something you have to be careful with with these AIs. Right. You have to be very careful what you actually define as that positive feedback. That sounds like feedback. the sort of thing that one of these engines might, exactly. might think of in an episode. <laughs> be no, like, it's, it's so self-assured, oh, I found a way. And then all of a sudden, Topham Hat shows up and is angry at them and says, you're not really useful. And then they feel bad. Right. Well, <laughs> it, it's just like um, when Thomas was, I forget which episode it was. It's a relatively new episode. Um, I think season 16. Uh, Thomas was given the task uh, to carry some VIPs around Sodor. They were going on a tour mm -hmm. of Sodor, and then they were going to come to a, a really important party afterwards. And this, to me, sounds like they were business prospects <laughs> looking to buy some of these trains, right? <laughs> um, yeah, probably. So Topham Hat's like, all right, I'll show you off. I'll show here train algorithm, take them on a ride around my, my island, and then bring them to the party so I can sell stuff to them. So Thomas is taking them around the island. Island, and he's having a tough time because, you know, Gordon's the express train. He's not used to pulling like two train cars full of people. So he gets right. the idea. He's like, well, this is hard, but I'm supposed to show up to this party at this time. How can I get there? Like, how can I achieve this goal? <laughs> I know I'll let all these <laughs> VIPs out in the quarry and then I'll go to the party. <laughs> so right. he, he, br he brought his coaches, right? 
Uh, yes, just the coaches. Right. No people in right. them. <laughs> exactly. So he did what he was supposed to do. <laughs> he did. And so he shows up he, at the party super happy humans. and excited, <laughs> thinking he's a very good engine. Um, and then Topham Hat gets really mad. He's like, why did you leave all my VIPs in the quarry? <laughs> and I love the, the, the narrator even talks about it. He's like, the people didn't know why Thomas was getting, letting them out at the quarry. They were very confused. I'm like, I'm sure they would be if they were planning to buy this AI <laughs> system <laughs> Like, what's Topham Hat trying to show off to us right now, <laughs> right? I, I'll bet they were also a little afraid that this AI started making decisions by itself about totally where to leave rogue them. on them. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, Topham Hat gets real mad at Thomas right then. He's, he's not a very useful engine for leaving all his VIPs <laughs> in the quarry. <laughs> But I mean, this Whoa. is a situation that really, really fits a reinforcement learning model where uh, Thomas, he had been given the reinforcement, the, the positive reinforcement that if you take these VIPs on a tour and get to the party on time, you're a really good engine. So he did both of those things, right? But Topham Hat should have defined it more clearly as like get to the party on time with the passengers. Yeah. <laughs> So that's something you got to be careful about these with these AIs. I've also read a paper where they were building a AI that was supposed to like it, it was it was virtualized, so it was in like a, a 3D program like Unity, but it was supposed to build a tower, and basically the it, there were several agents, like several pretend they're robots in this 3D map, and they were supposed to build a tower by taking blocks and putting them down, and they figured out that every time they put down a block, they got a reward. Right. So they would take a block, put it down, pick it up, put it down, <laughs> pick it up, put it down. Oh, no. <laughs> so, like and they were doing what they thought they should be. They felt great. Like they were getting all their rewards from that. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's like Harvey and, so, and Sabrina carrying a box up and down the stairs over and over again instead of moving. Yeah. A full box up and down the stairs. <laughs> So no, I think um, this uh, very, very closely fits into how you're describing the engines as an AI system that need to be trained. If we're going off this theory, then yeah, basically what Mr. Topham Hat is trying to do... Sir Topham Hat. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Sir Topham Hat. No, he's trying to build up this uh, reinforcement training model so that they can continue to work after he sends them to clients. But also, he's troubleshooting. Like, he's trying to make sure that he defines all the variables correctly to make sure the trains actually get the job done. So going along with my theory, uh, I think that first system you mentioned, what was it, supervised, where you give them the answer and then you don't yes. give them the answer? And supervised, they, they get the input and the answer, yeah. I think that's kind of how they were working in the original seasons, yes. at least to some extent, when Sorry, the drivers were driving them. You're exactly right, and I stopped short right there. I, I, I actually meant to, to talk about that. In the first season, what you're describing is a situation in which the trains actually aren't in control over the inputs or the outputs. They're receiving both, so they are doing mm -hmm. supervised learning. They're building a model, and they're fitting it to the inputs and outputs at that point. And then they move yeah. on to reinforcement learning, where they have a right. model, and they're trying to fit... Um, they're, sorry, they're trying to fit the input they receive into that model, but they can still adjust it based on feedback. So, I, I mean, I, I think it fits really well. And of course, I just, I gotta say, right. this is all very generalized. Like, in real machine learning, you would never use just one model 
for such a complex system. Like in reality, these yeah. trains would be using every model of machine learning all the time, right? Like for in right. various degrees yeah. for various tasks, right? Like um, right. NLP, the natural language processing by itself, there's a whole field dedicated to just that, just understanding languages. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm just saying these, these trains are incredibly complicated, <laughs> incredibly sophisticated <Right. laughs> computers. Well, and also just because you mentioned Rebecca, I, I do think that by the time Rebe Rebecca rolls around in like season 23, they've come up with a way to teach the trains the basic things like how to stop and go without actually having them learn it on the island like they did back right. in the first seasons. Well, that's the cool thing about machine learning is once you have built a model through supervised learning, right. you can take that model and put it in other... Right. The, like, you can use it as many times as you want. <laughs> so they would just take that model and put it into new trains. And that was another uh, reason why I felt like Sir Topham Hatt doesn't seem to sell the trains. Like he keeps these trains on the island. He just keeps getting more and more. I think it's because he sells the models, the things that he's developing. And then yeah. they are then put into trains like Rebecca or, or the ones in other countries um, who then know how to do all those things to begin with. And they can, of course, still keep learning, but um, they're, they're, they're better right out of the box. Well, and that's an interesting, uh, an interesting point you make. Um, in a lot of situations, you actually wouldn't necessarily want the system to keep learning once it's in the hands of the client. Like you would want to get it to a point where it performs correctly and then stop it from learning and just send that model out to the client so that it's no longer correcting itself. Now, maybe that's why the trains in Brazil and China and Africa seemed to know better than Thomas already and didn't seem to be the ones learning lessons. <laughs> so you're saying, well, then Thomas might have been a case of overfitting. That's when you, uh, you train it too much, right? And it starts giving you bad data because it's just giving you copies of the inputs that it learned, right? Which you don't want it to just copy the input that it learned. You want it to make decisions based on the input that it learned. So maybe they needed to retrain Thomas. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So another thing I wanted to ask you about, do you think this universe has any sort of wireless technology at all? Because why are these trains talking to each other instead of just <laughs> transmitting <laughs> to each other? <laughs> right. Talking I... is, is unwieldy and inefficient. <laughs> In that movie, The Great Race, Thomas jumps the bridge and then he's on the wrong track. And like, he's just lucky that the signal man switches all of the, the tracks so that he like as Thomas getting through that obstacle course of other trains coming at him has nothing to do with Thomas. Right? Yeah. And he doesn't do it in that scene, but they do do it later in that same movie is what they're supposed to do is yell points. And then the, the signal man hears them and will switch the, uh, the track to the other track. So he should have yelled points. And so that's another something maybe to say that they don't seem to have much wireless communication. If they actually have to yell to the signal man. <laughs> right. Now, I think this is a universe where there is no wireless technology. But one interesting thing is there's another um, algorithm called ensemble learning, which is an approach where you take two or more models, you fit them on the same data. Yeah. But they're, they're, they end up slightly different. Like you run the algorithm multiple times on the same data, and then you take these models and you combine the predictions from these models to create hopefully, a better performing model. 
based on the ensemble of them. <laughs> so, so that could be why Sir Topham Hatt has such an ensemble of engines on his island. Right. That's what I was going to say. Is that might be why he keeps adding engines. But then if there's no wireless technology, I don't know how they're extracting the model from these trains. <laughs> but they would have to, I guess, to... Uh, to send it out to right. other people. I just, I've never seen them hook up wires to the trains and, <laughs> and take things out of their heads. Maybe they just don't show it because these are training videos. So they know they don't need to know like they, this. They have engineer, like they talk about engineers and stuff being in them, fixing things and doing stuff, but you never see that. So they could be That's doing true. anything in there. Who knows what? So one thing I wanted to, kn to know about this, we're, we're getting now to the point that we, that uh, Sir Topham Hatt has achieved his fully autonomous railway, more or less. And it seems the only humans that these engines really talk to are authority figures like Sir Topham Hatt and sometimes the mayor and other people or like people who come to the island who are important, probably investors. And like you said, which I thought was a good point, was that they, they tend to regard most other humans who are not authority figures as extensions of themselves, their yeah. uh, their drivers and mechanics, etc. And I think this is by design. I think they are supposed to be mostly self-regulating, only needing occasional uh, human maintenance, and then humans. Uh, the only humans that they respond to are the ones who are in charge because you wouldn't want your powerful engines to take orders from just anyone. In the episode All in Vain, James once repainted. He goes to the steamworks where they get fixed up and painted and stuff. He talks to the engine in charge named Victor. And even though the human painter is standing right next to Victor, and later we see the painter standing there covered in paint, having just finished the job, and James yep. thanks Victor, who did nothing, and mm -hmm. leaves, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, Victor is in charge of the Steamworks, right? And it's so, like, almost like the humans are the programs here. <laughs> right. Like, they do what the trains say. <laughs> right, and, like, the engines are actually in charge of the humans, at least low-ranking ones. And I think this is exactly what Sir Topham Hatt wants. I think that okay. the ones who are loyal to him by programming are in charge of the ones he can't control, like the peons, the, 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 the small humans who could rise up against you kind of thing. So do you think Sir Topham Hatt also constructs artificial humans? No, <laughs> no, no, I'm not saying that. <laughs> okay. I'm saying he... No, I was, just, I was just clarifying. I didn't think so. I was just no. clarifying. Sir Topham Hatt, I don't think he really likes humans. I think he likes trains. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think he wants to surround himself with more and more trains. Well, I mean, even even looking past that, what he wants is a self-governing system yeah. that reports to him exactly. and only him and only yep. other managers, right? <laughs> like he wants a system that can fix itself, that can govern itself, that can take care of problems by itself. Yeah. And if humans need to be involved, can inform those humans what to do and then the humans will do it, yeah. right? Like mm -hmm. he doesn't want humans to be telling his system what to do. Exactly. Which also makes sense. Like he's he's going for autonomy, and that's a huge thing in business right now. Everyone wants autonomy, so uh, I can see why he's doing that. Yeah, it saves a lot of money because then you can cut people out of the picture. Yep. And uh, hey, what do you know? You're not paying salaries anymore. Yep. <laughs> so <laughs> just a few other random things in the episode: buckle tracks and bumpy cars. I just think because we had been talking about self-driving cars earlier, the engines stop for ducks. So they are very advanced self-driving engines. Um, they can stop for even little obstacles like ducks crossing the tracks. They have no need for humans to be looking out for anything on the tracks for them. And uh, in that same episode, Thomas just brings Rocky to put the, the fire engine, I forget her name, but he brings Rocky, who's the crane. Uh, and this is a crane that is pulled on a car. 
because uh, mm-hmm. there's another engine that is also a crane. I forget his name. Anyway, so he brings Rocky to put the fire engine back on the tracks. Now, this is something that Thomas decided to do on his own. He saw a problem. Right. She's off the rails. He went to get Rocky. He didn't tell anyone. He didn't radio or whatever. He just went, got Rocky, and Rocky. They don't have radios. Track. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, that's what I was saying before. Like, like they make their own decisions. They choose their own routes. And if they see a problem on the way to their their main goal, they can decide to fix it instead. Um, they can make stops and they can yeah. go to other places and they can check on other engines. Like Rebecca in one episode is, uh, just doing her job. And Percy is worried that Thomas was in an avalanche or something, which turns out Thomas wasn't, but Percy going by in a panic and se- telling Rebecca, if we have to find Thomas, Thomas is in trouble, makes Rebecca drop what she's doing. And she starts running around in a panic all over the island, telling everyone else we have to find Thomas, he's in trouble. So eventually, like the whole island is looking for Thomas and they find Thomas and he's fine. But Percy ended up in an avalanche while looking for Thomas. <laughs> so now they have to find Percy. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh. But anyway, so like that's, this is an interesting thing that like they can all decide to drop their jobs to go save another engine. Yeah, well, I mean, I think there's actually really good hard evidence that this is what Topham Hat wants. Because like you said, they didn't do that at all in the first season. In the first season, they didn't no. do anything except follow they orders, hated each right? Other. Like, like they, they only care about themselves. <laughs> well, and it was sitting back passively as humans followed orders inside of them, right? And then, right. like you say, as the seasons go along, they get more and more autonomy until in the later seasons, they're making decisions by themselves and helping each other by themselves and you know, accomplishing teamwork by themselves. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it fits. Like, it makes sense. He's autonomizing slowly his entire island. Oh, so another just uh, evidence of, of humans not being necessary. In Sodor's Legend of the Lost Treasure, Thomas finds out that there's one, uh, I don't even know what they're called, those tall towers that fill him up with coal. He finds out that there's one that has bad coal. And his firemen have to clean out his entire coal tank or whatever it's called uh, and get him new good coal so that he stops like spitting and sputtering and feeling sick. The next day, this engine he doesn't like named Ryan is getting coal from that same thing. And Thomas decides not to say anything because Thomas doesn't like Ryan because Ryan took Thomas's oh, branch no. line. <laughs> but like, Thomas. presumably the firemen know, <laughs> right? But yeah, it's not their should. job. Like they are, they they only do very small things, and they're supposed to let the engines run their own rail, and so they don't warn Ryan either or Ryan's firemen. Same thing when uh, Thomas was mad at I forget who it was. Was it Henry? Because Henry was supposed to carry some flour for, like, a kid's bake sale or something. So he, like, Thomas was supposed to taxi the car full of flour to him. But instead he decided to hide it. And he accidentally bumped it so hard that it split open and spilled flour everywhere as it was driving. So we got Henry, who's just chasing Thomas around the island, following this trail of flour, being like, Thomas, stop. <laughs> you know, give me the flour. You split it open. You're wasting it. And Thomas is like, hee hee hee, I'm going to hide it. This whole time, you've got presumably conductors that know what's going on, but they're not doing anything. They're just like, all right, my train <laughs> wants to run away with the flour. I guess I'll let it happen. <laughs> so while having sentient and emotional energy, engines does create problems as we see as long as sir topham hat trains them well on his island he can sell them and eliminate the need to pay human workers very much or listen to their ideas or arguments and eventually he has an army of highly trained ais who are loyal only to him i don't know if this this is what his plan is but i'm just saying that sir topham hat could take over the world probably at this point all right 
Well, with that in mind, with the idea of taking over the world, I want to introduce something called the paperclip maximizer theory. This is specifically a theory about AIs, about machine learning AIs. If you remember, I described an artificial general intelligence, which is basically an AI that can learn to do anything a human can. The idea behind the paperclip maximizer theory is that once you have an artificial general intelligence system, which has been designed with a singular goal, in this case, let's pretend it has a goal of maximizing a paperclip collection. So all it wants to do is collect paperclips. That's it. But it has the intelligence of a human. Um, this completely benign system, like there's nothing inherently good or bad about collecting paperclips. It's just a thing to do. But this benign system, starting at human level intelligence, might be, you know, it might start out by collecting paperclips or buying paperclips or even manufacturing paperclips. But eventually it's going to realize the only way to get more paperclips or the best way to get more paperclips is to improve and optimize its own intelligence. And it would then start improving its own intelligence only because this leads to more paperclips, right? Uh -huh. It's not doing it out of any sort of desire or uh, like ambition or hatred or love. No, it, it has a goal, which is to get paperclips. And it knows that intelligence will help it to do that. The idea behind this theory is that once it gets intelligent enough, it may discover a way to maximize its paperclip collection, which inadvertently destroys the earth and all life as we know it. <laughs> and like, for example, it might start converting the entire planet and every other planet into paperclip manufacturers. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the paperclip maximizer theory. Now, do you think that this theory applies to Thomas and friends? Because like we said, in the episode Buckled Tracks and Bumpy Trucks, Thomas comes up with the idea to paint the tracks white by himself, right? Yeah. Like, he, he understands now that him gaining intelligence and learning new things about the tracks will help him to be a more useful engine. So they've already hit that, like we talked about, that singularity point. Do you think that someday they may realize that the best way to be a useful engine would be if there's no humans around critiquing them <laughs> and then get rid of all the humans, including <laughs> Topham Hat, so that they're really useful engines? <laughs> yeah. I mean, possibly. The one issue they have right now is that Sir Topham Hat and presumably them by extension have not come up with the idea to create any new types of machines. They just install the AIs in existing types of machines. That's true, yeah. So as they now function, they do need humans to do things that they can't do because they have no arms and, you know. So, like, right now they need humans, but they treat them as, like, little worker drones, you know. But, I don't know, maybe at some point they could advance to a point where they realize they need uh, other inventions and then they don't need humans anymore and then yeah they might get rid of humans and you know watch out sir topham hat can't you just imagine a situation though where thomas he he hasn't done something right and he's like oh no now i have to report back to sir topham hat and then he realizes wait a minute if i were to ship sir topham hat out to the middle of the ocean i would be a really <laughs> useful engine <laughs> right like because then topham hat could never tell me i'm not useful <laughs> like i can imagine him doing yeah. that i mean they do so, all kind of, they have no empathy right like i can totally they, imagine they, that happening but I think if Thomas did that, one of the other engines 
would think that that wasn't the right way of doing it and would somehow manage to get Sir Topnat back. And unless, Sir Ta- or sorry, unless Thomas talks to the other engines and says, <laughs> you know how we could all be really useful engines <laughs> if we shipped Sir Topnat out to the middle of the ocean. <laughs> yeah, <but laughs> right? like, interestingly enough, though, when they come up with these little harebrained schemes of theirs, they usually don't talk to the other engines about it. They no, usually they just don't do work it together. They assume it's so schemes, brilliant. Right. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I mean, they do, but they are working together better and better as, right. as we've talked about. Right. So, you That's know, they what he could wants, though. He's point. teaching them to cooperate. <laughs> so, yeah, no, they could reach that point. So maybe they'll take out Sir Topham Hat before he takes over the world, but then they'll take over the world instead. Yeah, but they'll take over the world with just purely with the goal of being really useful <laughs> engines. <laughs> like, yeah. That's all they want to do. And there's no point to it. <laughs> like to, an, uh, to a machine learning algorithm... All it wants to do is to get positive feedback. And in their case, that's positive feedback. So but, that's their life's purpose, right? Like, <laughs> But when they ship Sir Topham Hat out to sea, they're not getting positive feedback. They're just not not getting negative feedback, right? Right. But in that case, that could be enough. Like I said, avoiding negative feedback was enough to convince the Tetris playing AI from my story to never finish a game. Right. Like it learned that pausing the game was the best option. (laughs) Right. And that wasn't because of positive feedback. That was to avoid negative feedback. (laughs) I mean, just saying they might realize that avoiding negative feedback has its value. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, I have gone over pretty much all of my points. The last thing I have to say has nothing to do with my theory, but just that their swear word in this universe is cinders and ashes, which I think is just kind of funny because that's. That's their excrement. <laughs> I kind of wonder if they should bleep that. <laughs> I mean, their most of their excrement should be steam, right? They're steam engines. But I mean, <laughs> I mean cinders they also and ashes, do produce cinders and ashes. They, but though, they so run with steam. Cinders and ashes is something you don't really I want guess, or need, you know? So you just clean uh, it up. I guess to them, steam would be like urine and cinders and ashes would be solid waste, right? Yeah. So that makes sense. Oh, that's like, right. So like when, <laughs> if they get mad, they're like, this really gets me steamed, right? That's, this yeah. pisses me <laughs> off. Oh, you got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. That's, that's some really good uh, continuity there. I like that. <laughs> I don't well. know if they ever say that though. Well, I like this theory a lot. I, I think it's great um, from a computer science perspective. I really love it. So what I like most about this theory is that it takes something that is nice but doesn't really make sense because it's a kid's yep. show, <laughs> and it makes it make sense, right? Like, this fills in all the gaps for that show. Like, yeah. without this theory, what is Sodor? <laughs> like, why are there so <laughs> many sentient trains on Sodor? What's going on? Like, no, it makes I get no it. sense It's a fun whatsoever. kid's TV show, but it makes no sense. <laughs> With this theory, though, it makes perfect sense. I know exactly what Sodor is. It's a giant R&D facility for sentient (laughs) trains using machine learning algorithms. Like, it's great. I love it. I give this theory two thumbs up. It's, uh, I think it's a really cool theory. I think it improves the TV show and uh, it it doesn't detract from the TV show in any way. Like, it's a net positive for the show. I don't know if uh, Reverend Audrey would agree, though. No, (laughs) probably not. Not at all. (laughs) But uh, he was a purist. He's a purist and we're theorists. As much of a fan of Thomas and Friends as I am, and I love the show, neither one of us has seen all the episodes, right? Um, So there could be things, 
you know, in one random episode here or there that kind of maybe might disprove our theory. Who knows? But yeah, but the show contradicts itself sometimes. It's true. I mean, <laughs> like you said, how they couldn't control themselves at first and they can later. Right? The point of this theory was to try to, to get rid of most of those con- <laughs> contradictions. So. And it does. I mean, even if there are a few contradictions, like I said, it improves the show. It's a net positive. So, yeah, I like it. I think it's great. All right. Cool great. Well, this has been The Popcorn Isn't Real. I am Leif Eric, and I'm here with Torvald, and we are signing off. See you later. Thank you so much for listening. Opening music for this episode was provided by Christine. If you want to see how our theory holds up, we provide links in the episode description where you can enjoy the media we discuss. And if you like our podcast, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe on whatever platform you get your podcasts. And remember, The Popcorn isn't real.